Dear fellow redeemed, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Holy Gospel appointed for the vigil of Christmas is from the Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter beginning at the first verse. Please rise in Jesus' name. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governing Syria. And everyone went to register, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the town of Nazareth into Judea, to the town of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and family line of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his wife, who was pledged to him in marriage and was expecting a child. And so it was that while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. There were in the same country shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior was born for you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude from the heavenly army praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward mankind. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These are your words, Heavenly Father. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. As the sun sets, the day before Christmas, the evening of that festival day has begun, and so, Merry Christmas. This familiar Christmas gospel that we hear tonight might just as well come, have come directly from an angel's lips. And it ought to inspire the same fear and awe and joy as it inspired in those shepherds because it is God's word. But his glory is hidden now in the page, in a plain wooden pulpit, just as his glory was once hidden in swaddling clothes in a plain wooden manger. But those words direct us to this beautiful gospel news that begins with this declaration that a Savior was born for you. You hear that every year. What does it mean? Is it just a cute children's story? Well, now while it is indeed for children, it is also for all people because this birth means that God's promises are realized for you. We take our Christmas gospel from St. Luke, and something you should know about the way that evangelist writes, he was extremely well-educated, a physician by trade. He studied long and hard for his work. But also at the beginning of his gospel account, he writes, I followed everything closely from the beginning, meaning that he did a great deal of research. Like an investigative journalist, Luke spoke to eyewitnesses, likely even Mary herself. And he traced everything that this Savior, who was born for you, 
did throughout his entire life. So as a result, when you read this familiar passage in Luke 2, notice all the historical details. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governing Syria. And Joseph was from the house and family line of David. And further, you ought to know there were in the same country shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night, because that's what shepherds did in that country in those winter months as the sheep went out to pasture. The effect of all of this is that you can be absolutely certain that this really happened. You'll also notice history working towards this event. The pieces are all falling into place by the time we get here. It was necessary for Joseph and Mary to make their way to Bethlehem, for instance, before the Savior was born because of what God had said through the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, from you will go out the one who will be the ruler for me in Israel. His goings forth are from the beginning, from the days of eternity. And it's also important that Jesus' lineage through his adoption came from King David because of what God said to David. I will raise up after you your seed who will come from your own body. I will establish his kingdom. Your house will stand firm and your kingdom will endure forever before you. Your throne will be established forever. And further still, they had to come out of their hometown of Nazareth whose name sounds like the word for branch, because the prophet Zechariah had said, there is a man whose name is branch, because he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. When it came time for the child to be born, it was important to remember that this child's mother, Mary, was a virgin, because God had said through the prophet Isaiah, look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and name him Emmanuel. And further, that little detail that they couldn't find a place to stay, so that he had to sleep in a manger, a feeding trough for cows and donkeys. It's also important to the fulfillment of another of Isaiah's prophecies. He had no attractiveness or majesty. When we saw him, nothing about his appearance made us desire him. I'm sure I've missed some. But this all goes to show what St. Paul said to the Galatians. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son to be born of a woman so that he would be born under the law in order to redeem those under the law so that we would be adopted as sons. It means God orchestrated history all to lead to this point, like a massive chess game or symphony resolving in this perfect Climax, and the climax is that his promises are all fulfilled in order to accomplish your redemption. Indeed, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that through patient endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we would have hope. Those prophecies, those promises, they were all written to show this very fact that God is faithful and keeps His promises and indeed has accomplished your salvation. Notice how when that event occurred, the message was proclaimed and the angel says it is for all people. 
And he didn't appear to governors or kings or rich men or influential Pharisees or priests. He appeared to shepherds, simple folk with no glory and people who were day, day by day directly involved in the sacrifices of the temple. How many of those sheep they tended were destined to be sacrificed? Well, now the angel tells them of the Lamb of God who would be the last sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And the angel tells those shepherds who had come a savior, how he would be recognized, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And the angel also told them what his coming meant, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward mankind. Peace, again, that's a word that you hear so much this season. The Savior came to bring peace between God and men. We who had become enemies since our sin, now we were made friends, made one, so that we would be adopted as sons. But how? How will that happen for us? Again, hear that message that a Savior was born for you. And that means that God took on human flesh for you. What a marvelous thing that those shepherds could look down into that manger cradle and there they saw God. They could gaze into the eyes of God. God was wrapped up tight for warmth. He drank his mother's milk. His skin was scratched and pierced by that prickly hay. God was beginning to learn and grow, to undergo the human experience all the way from the very beginning. Consider what that means. God became flesh in order to take our place. The condemnation of the law rested on our heads, but this Savior took that yoke, that incredible weight, and He kept the law, and He suffered its wrath. We call this the vicarious atonement, meaning that Jesus was our substitute, vicarious, in making us right again with God, atonement. And it also means that Jesus sanctified our whole lives. No part of human life is intrinsically despicable, but instead we may see how we are united to the life of Christ. He was born as we are born. He grew and learned as we grow and learn. He worked as we work. He hungered and thirsted and grew tired as we do. He suffered as we too suffer. What wondrous love that the almighty and everlasting God took on our flesh so that our lives in this flesh mean that we are his brothers and sisters and that every aspect of life is joined to him. He redeemed every part of human life. And he redeemed our flesh. Jesus didn't just save our spirits, he saved our bodies too. After all, that's what we are. We are a spirit and body whole. That's what makes death such an abomination. It separates what ought not to be separated. You've probably heard at funerals someone very well-meaning point to the casket and, or the urn and say, well, so-and-so isn't here anymore. That's just an empty shell. Really, they're in a better place. 
That's a half-truth. Yes, that spirit did go to God who gave it, and they are enjoying that bliss of heaven, but that body is also that person as well. At death, a person is divided. The spirit goes to heaven or hell, and the body sleeps in a narrow chamber until the last day when the two are rejoined into a resurrected body, a perfect body, made in Christ's image. This is a reality brought to mind by that little baby in the manger, that death is real. That baby in the manger would one day die in the same flesh and lie in a tomb. The shepherds around that cradle were previewing the wake of this Savior who had just been born, as the women, 33 years later, would go to gather around his tomb. But you see, it was our death in that cradle. That's the other reality brought to mind. Salvation is real. The same body that was in that manger would also rise after it had slept in the tomb. And in the same way, your body will rise after it sleeps. This is how I ask you as Christians to view your brothers and sisters at their funerals. When you stand over the casket of a loved one and see them sleep, imagine standing over the manger and seeing your Lord and Savior sleep. He would wake to bring salvation. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will also wake to receive it. And by all this, God is glorified. Glory to God in the highest, saying these angels. And what Christ would do and has done, more and more glory is given to God by that. As we receive His righteousness, His forgiveness, His holiness, and His salvation, the Word is delivered again and again. Our flesh is made the same as Jesus' flesh through the death and resurrection of baptism. The baby who lay in that feeding trough of animals now gives his flesh and blood to you and me to eat. As a result, our lives serve to give glory and praise to God. St. Paul described the Christian life, so whether you eat or drink or do anything else, do everything to the glory of God. And he also said, And everything you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Because Jesus took our flesh, redeemed our flesh, and sanctified our whole lives by His perfect life, no more dead and bloody sacrifices need to be given. Instead, St. Paul urges us, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your appropriate worship. We live, in short, because Jesus lived and died for us. We have all this glorious joy and life because, as the angel said, and as you hear again this festival day and every day, a Savior was born for you. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.